a couple of months ago, I had spoken on God keeping watch over our lips, setting a guard over our mouth. And whenever I study, my studying happens on napkins, on receipts, on all kinds of things. When God speaks, you write it down and, and you bring it all together. And that was actually a two-part sermon. And so I guess today we'll do part two a couple months later on a sermon that, that we did a while back. It's a weird series. A lot of churches don't do that. But we, we marched to a different drummer. Today I wanted to speak some more on that. And there was something that happened during World War II. They had these artists come together to create art that would help with the war effort. And many of you may have seen the Rosie the Riveter art. Well, there was another artist. His name was John Atherton. And John Atherton, he created a poster. And the poster, which we have an image of, it had these words. It was careless word, another cross. And when you look at the cross that's there, it's a soldier's helmet. It's the soldier's belt that went with his, his fighting clothes. And the poster was referring to the fact that when we speak carelessly, we give information to the enemy that can be used against us. Proverbs 18.21 lets us know that death and life are in the power of the tongue. But there's a passage that I can't let go of, and God's really been messing me up with. It comes from James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It reads this way in the New King James. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? For you here, have any of you ever felt shamed? Have any of you ever been the recipient of harsh words? Have you ever had someone criticize you? If so, you may be cut out for ministry. We often act like the word of God is so confusing, like it's so cryptic, like, like we, I wish that I could just turn to God's word and get the answers I'm looking for. Well, how clear is this? Do not speak evil against one another. Who are you to judge your neighbor? In verses 11 and 12, there's two phrases, words, they, they jump out. One of them is to speak against. It's used three times in verse 11. It's speaking of defaming or slandering someone. You know, you often hear people say, but I'm the type of person that I have to speak my mind. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I don't have the gift of letting it slide. A lot of times when we do that, we're talking down about people. Can I just be honest? With all due respect, hardly anything respectful has ever followed that statement. The Apostle James wants us to know that when we speak badly of other people, we are trying to influence people to think less of that person. Don't use words that kill. The other wording that's used in verse 12 is to judge. It's used six times in those two verses. 
has a range of meanings. One of them is to condemn. The other one is to distinguish or discriminate. And this is where we get in trouble in church sometimes, is we tend to think that we're kind of like on the panel of cake boss. Like we're just letting people know what they could do to have a little bit better cake. But really what we're doing is we're tearing people down. We need to come to a place where we call it as we see it. It seems like our walks would be so much easier if we could just be real, especially with ourselves. When I pray, something that I feel like God has placed on my heart as a pastor is that phrase, beware of the season of drama. Beware of the season of drama. There are so many things that can be drama in a church. You only have so much gas in your tank, and drama needs fuel to run. I don't want to siphon out of the God things in order to fuel drama. I want it to die out. I want it to run out of gas. What does judging look like for us? How about this? My manager at work, he's a jerk. Oh, I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus, but I sure do talk about karma a lot, like a Beatles album or something, right? You ever hear Christians, well, karma is going to get them. Oh. Is it Confucius? You know, like, is that really what's going to happen here? You have people talking like, my in-laws, my in-laws are the worst in-laws. I hope they choke on stuffing at Thanksgiving. You know, like people, my spouse, they're a train wreck. They're blessed to have me in their life, you know, to hold the standard. My kid's teacher at school, like typically educators are supposed to be intelligent, but my kid's teacher, like you hear people, you hear Christians talking this way, right? Because we just, we have to vent. We just have to let it out. There was a president of a Bible college, and over his fireplace, he had this plaque. Absent friends are safe here. The meaning of that is that if you're not around, no one's going to run your name down. We need to adapt that kind of thing in our spiritual walk. We need to surround ourselves with people who will pray behind our back and not speak behind our back. The command is clear, do not speak against one another. Why does the Holy Spirit tell us to do that? Why is this so important? What's it mean? You look at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 16 to 18, that says, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that they will not so that you will not share his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What happens is when we break the law, we don't just go against what God told us to do. We set ourselves above the law. This is where it gets dangerous. Again, we don't want to talk this way. We don't want to think that when we make decisions to do the wrong thing, that it fits into these categories. In a sense, we judge the law. We say, God, I know what you said all people should do, but I'm going to do this other thing. Will you ever say that to God's face? But when we operate in a way that disregards it, that's exactly what we're saying. In Hebrews 13, 17, we're told to obey those that have the rule over you. How many times, though, do we run into a situation where we feel justified in not following with that? Are you kidding me? My boss at work, they're the worst boss ever. They do dumb things. 
You know, God will check you, and he'll be like, well, you're not in that position. How, how do you know that they don't have a lot going on? Well, God, because I know if I was in that position, I wouldn't do that because I'm the kind of person who doesn't do dumb things, right? You're telling God that, and God, you know, will check you, and he'll be like, well, what I want you to do is I want you to honor them right now. And you may be like, well, God, I hear what you're saying, but they don't deserve honor, so I'm not going to honor them. In fact, I'm going to criticize them. I'm going to talk behind their back. You know, when I'm at the water cooler, I'm going to light them up, and then I'll go smile to their face when they, you know, come to my desk. This is how it works. If you don't think that the devil isn't at work in those things, then, then I can't help you right now. We could talk after church. God is saying, respect my law. TCM, last year, before the Oscars came out, TCM ran a whole month of movies that had won Oscars. And with this... You may be a movie person, you may not be a movie person, but there is one movie in particular from 1942, Casablanca, or Casablanca, tomato, tomato. Imagine for this movie, the director, and this is one of the great movies, saying, here's what I want. As we practice, I want an airport, I want fog, I want a car to pull up, I want the actors to get out. Among those actors, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. They're star-crossed lovers who had met in Paris, and now they've been reunited during a time when the Nazis are taking over. And what I want is this love story, and it's going to play out this way, and they're going to come together at the end of the movie, and it's going to be this prolific dialogue that's going to just go down in cinematic history. In the final scene, instead of them leaving to go off together, Humphrey Bogart tells her, you're going to be getting on that plane, and I'm not going to be getting on that plane, right? And part of this dialogue, he says to her, we'll always have Paris. And then he goes on, and like the big line is, let me see, I feel like Peter Brady, but here's looking at you, kid. He says that to her, right? Because the most romantic thing you can say is to call a woman a baby goat. Like that's the most, like this, it rocked history. So imagine they practice this and they practice this. And when the time comes, everything's together. And, and Humphrey Bogart's standing there. And imagine when the scene comes that Humphrey Bogart, instead of saying those iconic things, you know, it's getting late. And he's like, hey, lady, just get on the plane. I'm hungry. I'm tired. You know, just go, just go. Like, that would not have been romantic. That would not have been the movie. That's like something you'd see now. But back then, it would not have worked. But imagine what the director would have done if they would have said, we practiced this over and over. And when it came to that scene, you went your own way. There would be tension. There would be a problem. Our actions either reject or follow what God is directing us to do. There's, there's just two paths there. When we judge our neighbor, we judge God's law. In America, we have a justice system. In order to be a judge, you need to meet certain qualifications. Among those certain qualifications, you can't just say, I sure like those robes. Well, I'd like to carry around a little hammer. Or during the 80s, I grew up watching Judge Wapner on the people's court. Like those aren't qualifications to be a judge. The judge must meet the qualifications of knowing the law. When a case comes before them of knowing a person's actions, of knowing a person's motives, to be able to exonerate or to give discipline as necessary, it's a job for God alone. As a child, the game of Clue stressed me out. It really did. I think I was more of like a Candyland or Shoots and Ladders type kid. 
I mean, there were strong allegations that were thrown out. There was murder. There were murder weapons. There was specific locations of murder. There were allegations that somebody committed murder. No one went through due process. It was all messed up to me as a kid. Maybe I overthought it. But when somebody would shout out, Colonel Mustard did it in the conservatory with a revolver. As a kid, I, that stressed me out. Because I didn't know the law. Just because someone had died, I didn't know if it was murder, if it was manslaughter, if it was self-defense, premeditated, not premeditated, right? Like, I watched a lot of cop shows as a kid, and so Clue really messed with me. Don't even get me started on motive. Like, if I could put all the other pieces together, I don't think that I could make a good judgment at the end. I didn't consider myself to be some pillar of wisdom. But what I know now is in order to be the judge, you need to be able to do all of those things. That's who God is. Leave judgment to the judge. He knows our heart. And we get in church sometimes, we say, but isn't it our job to judge? Galatians 6.1 tells me that it's my job because I am spiritual to restore sinners in a spirit of meekness. Walking in discernment is tough. As God's people, we need to be able to acknowledge sin. But when it comes to those cake boss kinds of moments, there's a difference between judging and tearing people down or seeking to be that iron that will sharpen and will build people up. The Concord Fire Station. There were buildings on this spot. They're building a really new fire station. And it's amazing how when it comes to things, how quickly you can tear down. You ever see when they do a controlled burn? Building could be there this morning. They could have it burnt down by noon. But it takes a lot longer to build something up. They've been working on that fire station forever because good things take time to build up. And when we invest in one another, it's going to take time to build up. There are going to be times that God's going to call you to help correct. I'm going to dig into that a minute because it seems like when it comes to church, we kind of like that. You know, I like that. I like being the one to tell somebody, you know, you're, you're off course here, because then I'm not thinking about me being off course. And so that kind of fits with my theology a little better sometimes. In the end, it's going to come down to love and grace when we walk the way God tells us to. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 27 and 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. There's a story of a very famous pastor. He was so famous, in fact, that he got invited to go on an international speaking tour. And he was on this tour with a friend. And one day they were walking down this hallway headed to catering for lunch. And as they were heading to catering for lunch, the name of an acquaintance came up. And without even thinking, this pastor just blurted something out that was ugly about that person. They just said something that it was mean. It was critical about that person. And what's wild is his friend, without even really missing a step, walks a little faster than him, turns and stops in front of him. They're face to face. And the friend makes this statement. I think it's on this slide. And the guy said, when those words were spoken to him, they weren't spoken angrily. They were just spoken calmly. 
He said, it would not have hurt more if the man would have stabbed me in the side. He knew it was spoken in love. But he said years later, 20 years later, there have been 10,000 circumstances where that very phrase, which seemed like it wounded, kept him from making mistakes in what he said because God would check him. I say that to us because God can check us. When we pray, God, guard my mouth and what comes out of it, be willing to let him step up and guard it. And when he does, and when he uses somebody to do that, be willing to hear it in love. Psalm 133.1 says how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Love will unify even when it stings. Here's the application part of this, and we're going to close in a moment. When it comes to God using you as a tool of correction at times, what is the motive? What is your motive? Is it to destroy? Is it to restore? Are you willing to remain close to that person so you can be part of restoration, or you just want to swoop in and let them know what they're doing wrong, and you're out? If your motive is wrong, I guarantee God's not the one that's driving that. The how. How's your tone when you're correcting other people? Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath. There is a way to speak truth in a soft way to people. You want to know the how? This isn't biblical, but here's a test that I'll tell you as I have grown in God that I know that God's doing this. You know what it is? I always thought if God led me to correct someone, I would feel 10 feet tall. I would march in with God's words. Here's the truth of the matter. When God calls you to confront something, you're going to feel like a Pepto-Bismol commercial. That's truth right there. That's when you know that you know because your spirit and your flesh are in a fight because your flesh is like, nope, nope, nope. And God's Holy Spirit will keep prompting you. The who, when it comes to the recipient that you are speaking to, if God is going to use you to help sharpen another person, I can guarantee that he wants you to go directly to that person. He does not want a third, fourth, and fifth party involved. Jesus Christ models relationship. And the last part of that is the you. When God uses you, are you walking in that humility? Are you walking knowing that the same judge, the same lawgiver is the same one that is over you and you are seeking to see the best in someone else? I think about in 2 Samuel 12, David as king had dropped the ball. David had committed adultery. David was scheming. David cost a good man his life. David had done terrible, terrible things, and God used the prophet Nathan. I can't imagine that Nathan walked into that courtroom, the king's court, 10 feet tall. If there was Pepto-Bismol back then, I guarantee Nathan took it before he went. Sometimes we need a Nathan. Sometimes we need to be the Nathan. The last point of pastoral advice on that is this. 
If you are the kind of person that finds yourself needing to correct people several times a day, I don't know that God's behind that. Used to be a commercial with E.F. Hutton and he never spoke. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. In a spiritual sense, God's going to use you and you need to be willing to listen. And there may be maybe one or two times in a year where God may have you step up because when you get in people's business, that's personal. But if it is a daily thing, check that. Check that. Romans 12.10 tells us to be devoted to one another in love, to honor one another above ourselves. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have in order to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. We are different for a reason. In a moment, we're going to take communion. But I wanted to end with a quote that I read. Insecurity wants to keep track of others' failures, but grace doesn't even write them down. I say that because it's funny that you would have this balance today of the boldness of where Christ is taking us, but the humility and grace that will get us there. God is gifting us with both of those. Be faithful in this walk going forward. If you'll stand.